our data suggests that at day zero post-extubation or decannulation, 95% of these patients are diagnosed at bedside with severe dysphagia. And this is an important fact to highlight because the rehabilitation requirements of the COVID-19 patients exist in addition to our current patient load. Welcome to BLA Connections, a clear voice. This podcast is brought to you by the British Laryngological Association, the BLA. I'm your host, Natalie Watson. It gives me great pleasure to bring to you the experts within the field to discuss the pressing topics of the day. With each episode, we will be inviting an expert to share their views, experiences and guidance to discuss and explore specific topics, breaking research and updated guidelines, cutting through the noise and providing a clear voice. Welcome back to BLA Connection. This episode focuses on one symptom we are commonly asked to consult on in the cohort of COVID-19 post-ITU step-down patients, dysphagia. The burden has relied heavily on speech and language therapists in managing these patients, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all the SLTs worldwide who are working tirelessly to help these patients' rehabilitation. To talk about this, I am delighted to introduce Ms. Ekpemi Erune, Head and Neck Consultant and Laryngologist at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. The majority of Ms. Arune's clinical practice centres around malignant and benign head and neck surgery, including thyroid surgery. She has a specialist interest in advanced head and neck cancer and transoral microsurgery. She also set up the Transnasal Esophagoscopy Service at Addenbrooke's Hospital. She sits on the Guidelines and Protocols Committee of the British Association of Head and Neck Oncologists and is a member of the ENT UK and the BLA. She works closely with her SLT colleagues in daily practice and especially in the current climate, investigating and developing a framework to manage post-ITU COVID-19 patients with airway, voice and swallow concerns. Alongside Mr. Rooney today, we have Anne Weitzenkorn, an advanced specialist, speech and language therapist. She received a Master of Science in Speech-Language Pathology from Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, USA. She has worked in the medical setting in the US and UK and also currently works at Arendtenbrook's Hospital. She is a member of the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists and currently works with head and neck cancer, ENT patients and in the intensive care setting. Thank you both for joining us today. Great. Thank you for having us. So how have you approached your management of patients with COVID-19 post-extubation dysphagia? Thank you for the question. As you pointed out, um, Anne and I work at Addenbrooke's Hospital, which is a flagship of Cambridge University Hospitals Foundation Trust. And as a regional centre, we've certainly experienced our fair share of critically unwell COVID-19 patients requiring intensive care. As an ENT specialist and alongside my SLT colleagues, the key areas of concern in the post-extubation COVID-19 patients are airway, voice and swallow. And certainly we are focusing on the swallow, i.e. dysphagia part of that for this podcast. While in ITU, the focus was to keep the patient alive by treating the acute sepsis and transitioning them out of that critical care scenario. In contrast, our aim was directed at the post-ITU journey where we could effectively influence patient outcome 
First, it was important to acknowledge the existing data on post-extubation functional deficits relating to airway, voice, and swallow. Then we collected clinical data from our patients in order to understand the disease and the patients and what may be unique to our cohort of patients. Based on our findings, we were able to commence strategic planning to deliver the required clinical and non-clinical service. So first, what did we know? When we started working together, and by we, I mean the ENT and SLT teams on this patient group, we understood from previous work done by Martin Brodsky et al. in Baltimore that post-extubation dysphagia affects more than 60% of patients with ARDS following prolonged intubation in the intensive care unit. This was based on a five-year longitudinal study of ICU patients. They also demonstrated that a third had dysphagia even at discharge from hospital. In addition, 25% of these patients recovered within six months, and the good news is that at five years, all of them had shown complete recovery. However, what we don't know is the natural history of dysphagia in COVID-19 patients post-extubation. Even more specifically is that we are yet to grasp completely the pathophysiology underpinning dysphagia in this group of patients separate to establish facts such as length of prolonged intubation, especially beyond seven days. We know that length of intubation is an independent risk factor which positively correlates with severity of dysphagia. Other factors such as pre-existing performance status, so how well the patient was prior to admission, recurrent intubations associated with laryngeal trauma, oropharyngeal and laryngeal edema, prolonged airway inflammation, secondary to reflux, myopathies, neurocognitive debilitation and age are also well-known factors that contribute to dysphagia in the post-ITU patients, especially in addition to severe sepsis. A separate research group also highlighted impaired respiratory swallowing coordination, which is significant in patients who do suffer from ARDS. There have also been postulations regarding a neurotropic effect of SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it is possible that this could imply additional morbidity in this patient group. Of great importance is the fact that dysphagia is an important risk factor for death in critically ill patients due to the risk of aspiration pneumonia it poses. We've thus been working closely with our SLT colleagues in order to explore this uncharted territory. So we are recommencing investigations for dysphagia. Can you tell us a little bit more about the investigations you are performing to help with the dysphagia diagnosis? Yeah, so um, we as speech therapists have done an audit for our COVID-19 patients who have had a critical care admission. And our data suggests that at day zero post-extubation or decannulation, 95% of these patients are diagnosed at bedside with severe dysphagia. And we are recommending either strict no-by-mouth or very restricted therapeutic oral trials. At day one, there is only limited improvement with about 78% of the patients suspected to have severe dysphagia. And I say suspected because until the beginning of May, we didn't have access to instrumental assessment for our COVID-19 patients in keeping with our CSLT guidelines as fees, for example, is an aerosol generating procedure. So we were limited to clinical bedside assessments of swallowing. 
And since this is a subjective assessment, there is chance that we are either missing silent aspiration, which we know is a risk for these patients in keeping with the general post-extubation dysphagia presentation, or potentially we could be overly cautious and overly restricting these patients from an oral intake perspective. Now, more recently, the RCSLT has published new guidelines for implementation of fees with strict prioritization criteria and adherence to an abbreviated protocol. We've drawn on our close working with our ENT colleagues for joint fees assessments, and our experience of undertaking fees in this patient group has revealed some of the following findings. So poor secretion management and aspiration, pharyngeal weakness, supraglottic edema, edema of vocal cords and sometimes ulceration, sluggish vocal cord movement or paresis, impaired base of tongue movement with muscle wasting, and loss of proprioception of pharyngeal mucosa and laryngeal denervation. So these findings do support that these patients, at least initially, have considerable dysphagia. By day 21 post-extubation uh, or decannulation, our data suggests that the percentage of patients with persisting dysphagia has substantially dropped, with the majority having resolved dysphagia, at least from a safety standpoint. I do think that the impact of fatigue and breathlessness on the efficiency of swallowing is something to highlight as a potential longer-term side effect of COVID-19 on swallowing and return to oral intake. Also, we found that for the patients who do continue to have more impaired swallowing at this point in their hospitalization, there are those who have ongoing problems with breathlessness, have neurological components to their COVID presentation, or have multiple comorbidities or frailty. Um, and in the non-COVID patient population, the opportunities for rehabilitation are numerous. And um, this is due to the absence of a contagious pathogen allowing free access to these patients. So the challenges that we face um, for the COVID-19 patients include challenges with implementation of instrumental assessment, like I've discussed, um, appropriate face-to-face -face rehabilitation is compromised by the presence of PPE. So things like patients who are too delirious to be able to follow instructions for a thorough oral mechanism exam or to complete therapeutic swallowing exercises, we can no longer provide visualing, visual modeling for them due to the presence of PPE. Lack of access and limitation of manpower to deliver reinforcement structured rehabilitation in the way that we normally would. So things like going to go see a patient for a quick mealtime review is no longer just a quick pop in on the ward, but rather we have the layered complexity of needing to don and doff PPE. And of course, absence of long-term rehabilitation pathways for these COVID-19 patients, um, particularly including specialist input for instrumental assessment of swallowing and One of the things that we have certainly also taken note of is the fact that there are other factors such as confusion, low mood and fatiguing. And as one will expect, the repetitive and energy consuming nature of any rehabilitative technique does not lend itself easily to fatiguing patients, especially in the absence of reinforcement. 
It therefore became very apparent to us that patient outcomes in this group could be significantly adversely affected, leading to prolonged hospital stay, for example, the potential for readmission to hospital, a hindrance to business as usual, with an increase in referrals to specialist services, such as ENT, for example, that unresolved dysphagia or dysphonic patient. And this is an important fact to highlight because the rehabilitation requirements of the COVID-19 patients exist in addition to our current patient load. And that applies to the ENT specialists and speech and language therapists. All of these potential challenges can be mitigated with intentional planning of skill and resources. So that brings us really nicely to our next question. Um, what infrastructure are you putting in place to capture these patients and what long-term follow-up are you planning? Firstly, we've based our strategy on the principles of safety and quality. We set up an MDT very early on, and this included the ENT, speech therapy and tracheostomy specialist nursing team. Through this, we were able to facilitate discussions around the concerns as they evolved on the shop floor, identifying the problems and deciding how to proceed. And then we started an audit of post-ITU dysphagia made possible with the help of our SLT colleague, Andrea Shimbri. And we continue to collect that data, learning from our patients. We have then gone on to undertake joint instrumentals to familiarize ourselves with the COVID upper aerodigestive tracts. And by joint, I mean ENT and SLT combined. We set out a framework for in-hospital assessments and rehabilitation with attention to the when, that is the timing of the intervention, while respecting RCSLT guidance, but also being able to lean into those guidelines by working as an MDT. We looked at the where, providing bedside assessments, the how, providing objective and subjective assessments in full PPE to ensure safety. We are also planning focused interventions in specific patients in order to optimize outcome, and this is ongoing. We are adopting technology in relevant areas, for example, video-assisted rehabilitation and patient follow-up. And by working together, we have rapidly been able to identify demand and capacity for skill and have applied to secure funding to support an extended burden on our service. There is no doubt that having a responsive management team at the different levels of the major incident command structure at Addenbrooke's has helped us achieve a lot and I can imagine this may not be the same elsewhere. We're mapping out long-term follow-up requirements and structuring pathways to address the post-discharge patient demands once they are in the community and again are in the process of securing funding for this. Finally, we have been able to identify areas for research collaborating with our other colleagues within the NIHR COVID-19 Bioresource at the Cambridge Biomedical Research Centre. So what take-home messages would you like to leave the listeners with today? I believe there are three main principles essential to addressing dysphagia in the COVID-19 patient, with particular focus on the post-ITU journey within the National Health Service. They are an MDT approach, which is key, strategic planning, and time. 
with each day brings new knowledge about COVID-19 and how it impacts on its sufferers and keeping abreast of new developments has been difficult for clinicians. What's accepted practice today could easily become ineffectual by next week. Nonetheless, the one thing we cannot afford to do as ENT and SLT is to be unprepared for the airway dysphonia and dysphagia patients heading our way in the not too distant future. As my colleagues in the earlier series have said, it's important to collect and share data, to be bold in our approaches and collaborate as best we can. On a personal note, it would have been impossible to have delivered the service we provide at Addenbrooke's from the ENT perspective without the joint collaboration of our speech and language therapy colleagues under the stewardship of Bernadine Page. We are very grateful to them. Well, thank you so much for joining, giving us more information about post-intubation dysphagia after COVID, uh, sharing your own data, expanding our knowledge in this area and providing a multidisciplinary approach. Thank you both for the hard work that you've both given to your patients and departments. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Don't forget uh, to read our show notes. We have the fees guidelines from the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists and the NIHR COVID-19 Bioresource. Thank you for listening to another edition of our podcast. I've been your host, Natalie Watson, and this has been BLA Connections, a clear voice. Please feel free to email any topics and questions you would like us to explore, along with any suggested experts you would like to hear from, to inquiries at britishlaryngological.org. Please do subscribe to BLA Connections from the podcast platform of your choice, and we would love it if you could rate this episode. Thank you for listening and we hope you found our podcast informative.